Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we'll discuss what makes the India internet industry unique and what it takes to grow an e-commerce company. My guest, Ankur Waraku, is an internet entrepreneur, angel investor, and motivational speaker. He's a co-founder and board member of Nearby.com, a hyper-local e-commerce company in India. Previously, he was the CEO of Groupon India APAC and MD of Rocket Internet India. He's also the co-founder of ACM Web and a managing consultant at Kearney. Well, cool, man. Once again, thank you for being on the podcast. I, I figure that we'll probably start the podcast off today. I want to get, like, get the audience to know a little bit more about you and like where you grew up and like your family and that kind of stuff. Like, Tell me, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in India? Yeah, I did. I spent all my growing up years in Delhi, which is the capital of India. While I'm not originally from there, but my family moved really early on. And that's where I spent most of my time. Awesome. And then how big of a family are you from? So we were a very small family from get-go. We were four of us, mom, dad, a younger sister, six years gap. So not much of a sibling of, of sorts, more of a caretaker. And that's how we've been. I would admit I'm not so much of a family person. And I couldn't really bond with my immediate cousins and my relatives. Uh, never saw necessarily a fantastic time with them or so on and so forth. So, so just remained by myself, my friends, my school, and that was it. Gotcha. You know, it's so funny. So you're, are you older than your sister or younger? Older, six years gap. Older, yes. Yeah. See, that's the same with mine. So I'm older. My brother was um, six and a half years younger. Yeah. So, which was an interesting little gap, you know, because it's like, it's, it was, you know, I don't know growing up what, what your sister was like, but my brother like always wanted to be, you know, hanging, he thought I was cool for whatever reason, <laughs> always wanted to be hanging out with me. And it was like, kind of, you know, it was just a long enough gap, a, a long enough gap that you're like, God, I just, you know, you're annoying, you know, but he's like, I just want to hang out with you, you know, just wanted to hang out with me. And it was just, it was it kind of the same way in your family. Yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to that, Shane. It was, at least for the first 10 years, yeah. Till I reached 15 or 16, I would just went my way. We were like, hey, can I, can I get your toys? Can I get your books? Can I get you this? Of course, the gender gap did come in. But until the first few years, it was just, can I get whatever is it that you have? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, now that I look at it, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of awesome that you looked up to me that way. But I didn't look at it that way. You know, back in the day, it was just like, God, you're so annoying. But really, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, you got somebody looking up to you. That might not ever happen again in life. You got to be real careful. You know, that might have been your only fan, you know, or not you, but I'm just saying anybody, you know. It's very different. Like, funny that you mentioned it only two days back, my sister sent me a WhatsApp message, a text that she got from a completely random person about me. And then she said, I'm so proud of you. I rarely got that from my sister, to be honest. Well, I knew that she looked up to me, but for her to say that directly, oh, no, and I'm 39 now. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> like, thank you, thank you, sister. <laughs> that it, means a lot. It, it took somebody else to pull it out of her, huh? She's like, well, okay, I guess you've been <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, like, exactly. I, guess. So, I don't want to fully admit it, but I'll give you a, I'll give you a little bit of credit because I got a, a WhatsApp message from somebody that kind of put me over the edge. I'm at 51% of being proud now. Totally. <laughs> I hear you. That happens sometimes. That happens. So like, what about you? What are you got any other like interesting facts of growing up? I mean, it sounds like you were more of like kind of to yourself and friends and family, which is not a bad thing, but any other interesting facts like that? I mean, I always have some people that bring up like one lady I interviewed was like, oh, I was in a cult for 18 years. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that was going to be the interesting fact. <laughs> not that I think you should have been in a cult. You can be interesting and not be in a cult, but is there anything that like any interesting facts, anything fun that you're like, most people don't know this about me? Well, I think this is something that most people wouldn't. I was totally into X-Files. Like that really? show defined my existence. And I had the biggest crush on Julian Anderson. 
Hello. Or Dennis De- De- Curry. Yeah. yeah. And I always thought that I was Fox Mulder. And yeah. um, I totally believed in aliens. I think it was the biggest hogwash of all times that we haven't been visited yet and we haven't been contacted yet. And I remember just spending all the time from, I think, about sixth or seventh grade all the way up to first year of college or so, just passionately following each and every episode. And, and back then, there was no Netflix, right? So you actually had to wait for a week to get that series. And then there was a six-month gap. And then it just come again. It was a completely Bastards. different level of devotion. Bastards. I know. Yeah, I mean, then, I mean, what were they doing? They they know that you want to see it. It's like, why were they holding out like that? They don't think about how you feel. Yeah, no, man. The, the world's changed now. It's like it taught us patience in a way different way. And where I got it, maybe some bit of that has rubbed off well. Uh, while I do recognize the benefits of what we have today, <laughs> it was yeah, different, right? World. Yeah, it really was. So I will ask you. I mean, and this is since you're kind of a the sci-fi guy. Do you believe that there's aliens? Do you think we've been, that they've came down and, you know? Totally. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. There's a very strong possibility that you and I right now are living in a simulation. Now we're talking. Now we're heating up. It's, yeah, it's a non-zero probability that we are in a simulation. You don't define your destiny, neither do I. Where When the Matrix came in, I'm like, fuck, this is real, man. This yeah. is so real. Isn't it crazy when you see that kind of stuff and you're like, this is maybe a little too close to home. You know, you're like, wait a second. Like, it would, because I think it's nice that people are in these like silos and you're kind of like, this is life and it is what it is. You don't really think too far outside of that. But when you have a movie that or things that make you start thinking, you're like, oh, this is kind of, kind of mind numbing. And it's kind of, it's scary, but it's also kind of exciting. But I think most people, if you really, really, you know, they don't really want to think about that of like, I just want to make it through this life. You know, I'm not trying to figure out that there's aliens around me or like, how am I even going to handle that? Totally, totally. Yeah. And did you see the thing in the U.S.? This was a few months ago now, but like when they were like, we're going to storm Area 51. It was like this, <laughs> they, start, they put something on Facebook, some group, and then it, it took off virally. It took US, off virally. And the U.S. government was like, do not, we will shoot you. I don't know if they said we will shoot you. That's not a direct quote. But they were pretty much like, don't come to that gate. Like, this is not going to go well. And then they started to get nervous because the, like the town of like, outside of Area 51, I, I don't know, there's like 20 people there or something. And there was going to be like, and there might be 200, I don't know, maybe 2,000. But the point is, it was a small town. And they were like going to storm, they were going to storm the front gate. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a shit show. I, I just don't, like once, like, I just want to like, you know, not that I want anybody to ever get hurt or there be any problems, but I was like, I'm just going to grab my popcorn and just do a little live stream and just kind of watch this thing. And I hope there's not blood. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of blood or people getting hurt, but I thought this is going to be interesting. So I'm pretty sure that if you're going to go to area 51, there's going to be people on drugs. I mean, I, I thought it would be like, it would have been crazy, but it anyway, so been. we didn't, we'll find out eventually. I mean, we'll find out eventually that they're, you know, your neighbor's an alien or something like that, which totally. would be kind of cool. So look, for, <laughs> hopefully we'll see that in our generation. Hopefully we'll find out. Hopefully we will. That. Yeah. Before we yeah. die. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I know you would, you definitely want that before you die because I know that would be, you probably, you might die totally. right after that. After you find that out, that might be, I'm going yeah, to hope like, that yeah. of you because yeah. at that point your life's done other than kids and wife and all the fun stuff. But yeah, to be honest, the two things that I would want before I die is one, to establish that we've been contacted and two, to just visit Mars. And yeah, uh, yeah these two things and then, and then I'm all set. Yeah, well, Musk and Bezos, I mean, everybody there. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's it absolutely happen. is. That's 10, 15 that's years at best. Yeah, yeah. And then the aliens will take over. Anyways, it'll be fun. So where do you currently live now? Are you still in Delhi? Yes, I'm still in Delhi. That's where I reside. Awesome. And then where did you where did you go to school? 
So I went to Delhi University. That's where I did my physics. I was, uh, was always a pure sciences guy. Uh, in, in fact, my, my life plan was, was completely different from what I'm doing right now. My life plan was uh, to go to the US to get a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics, to join NASA as a space scientist. And I honestly, at some point of time, wanted to become the first man on Mars. Wow. Interesting. See, that's what always just fascinates me because obviously that background, there's like nothing that you probably learned in college that tied into what you're currently doing. Not nothing, but I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, it's like somebody going to school for music and then all of a sudden there's something totally different, right? It's like that doesn't necessarily, not necessarily a tie in. So how did that transition happen? What point did you say, listen, you know what? I don't, I still want to go to Mars. I just maybe won't be the first person on Mars. Like how did that all happen? Like take me down that road. So what happened, Shane, was I got through Michigan State University for a PhD program. Yeah, Spartans. Yeah, Yeah, East Lansing. Super cool and super cold. I was going (laughs) to say for uh, sure. Oh, man, I I don't want to remember that bit. And um, it was was a dream come true. It was 100% scholarship. I was getting a generous stipend. I landed there and doing really well. Amazing exams, top of my class, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But at some point in time, I just realized that... uh, this was something that I was good at, but it didn't make me happy anymore. And it struck me for the first time in my life that these two things could be different. What you're happy with and what you're good at could be entirely different things. And I was completely counterintuitive to what I've been trained in life. I was, all that I was told is if you're good at something, you automatically become happy doing it or you have mm. to be happy doing it. And that clearly wasn't happening in my life. So uh, I had to take a call, continue doing whatever I was doing. It would give me the socially desirable results, but most likely I wouldn't be happy. Or to uh, whatever that meant, pursue happiness. And I decided to drop out of my PhD and come back to India, which is quite a crazy idea back then. No one does that in India. I was just going to say, I was like, as I told you, I'm in India right now. And I got nervous just knowing that about you now. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Am I safe now knowing that you said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and and pretty much I don't want to do this anymore. I I wish there was a video camera in your house. So when you told your parents that and the fact that you survived that, I I think that is epic, man. Like you're a survivor. And nothing against your parents. I'm not saying your parents are violent or anything. But I'm just saying culturally, I know it's like, no, that's not what you're going to do because we've already planned this out for you. (laughs) right? Like. It was it was totally wild, man. You're, you're so close to what the real <laughs> the real thing was because my mom was completely devastated. She was like, "Well, oh, this is this is horrible." My dad just didn't get it. In fact, for that matter, no one, no one except for my girlfriend, now my wife, got it. And uh, they were like, "You you you're just completely fucked up. Like this is you've lost your mind." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, who does that shit? And then for some bullshit theory about you being good at this, not being happy, whatever that meant. And everyone told me, just finish your PhD and then come back if you really want to. Just finish it and come back. And I was like, I'm not going to do something knowing that it's a mistake just because I've been doing it. That's stupid. Man, uh, and that's that became crazy. a life That became a yeah. life mantra. I was going to say, kind of sound, I mean, you, you sound like that. Not, I'm not going to say a rebel, but kind of like, hey, this is like, this doesn't make sense. Like, because I think you were probably prepped just growing up. Like, this is just the way that yeah. it is. And there was that aha moment, right? Where you're going through this thing. You're like, wait a second. Like, maybe this isn't what I should be doing, right? Which is usually if you have those type of thoughts there to be suppressed, right? Like, no, 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 just keep on the track. Like, we have a plan for you. Why don't you go deviating from that track? So that's interesting. And then where did you meet your wife? I met her in college. We were both undergrad students. We, we met each other when we were 20. We knew each other for seven years when we got married. So it was a long time. Man, that's awesome. And so she was the one that says, hey, I, I don't think you're crazy? Yeah, she was like, you know what? I trust you. I don't know whether this is the right thing or not. And then who, who's to know? But just do it. If your mind and your heart says so, just, just do it. We'll figure something out. Well, no wonder you guys got married. I mean, come on. <laughs> she was like, yeah. she was your ride or die. Like there was totally. no like, right? I mean, that was like... 
you're Bonnie and Clyde right there. That's awesome. And so you, <laughs> you, you guys have been married for how long now? 12 years. 12 years, man. That's great. You know what? So you have some similarities. I've been married 13 years. I've got, I hope that's not the wrong number because my wife's probably going to listen to this. I only have one listener. It's my wife. So that's, I get real nervous. I don't want to say the wrong stats or people are like, when is her birthday? And I'm like, Oh God, here we go again. I, I'm not sure. I just know that I love her. If you're listening, maybe just let daddy loves you. Um, so cool. So 13 years and you have how many kids? One, two, 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 two. two. So tell me about that. How old? Uh, eight year old boy and two year old girl. Well, about to turn three anytime. Yeah, two and a half. Isn't it crazy? Didn't that change your whole life? Just the whole the man. It did. Thing? It's it just, just completely did. It just completely. Do you have kids? I do. You know, I have a 20 year old. We, you know, wow. we'll do the, math, do the math on that a little later. And, and you can see me. I know this is a podcast. You can see me. I look extremely young, obviously, right? I mean, you're like, God, this guy's probably at least 23, 24. Yeah, man, a 20 year old. I got a 20 year old. He's um, and it just finished his second year in college and nice. came home to do his real estate. He wants to do commercial real estate and then he's going to go back to, to go to college and finish up college. So, yeah, he, nice. he, he, that was kind of a hard decision for him as well because he was like, he wanted to finish and he said, I don't want to do commercial real estate. He wants to do internship and the college he was at doesn't really have that many commercial buildings. It was a smaller college and, and it was called Chico, California, where Sierra Nevada is from, if you've ever heard of Sierra Nevada. Okay. You know, I used to own a bar there. It's kind of a long story. But and so anyways, there wasn't a lot of commercial stuff there. So he's like, I'd like to go to another college. And so he's coming back getting his degree or getting his um, his real estate license. So nice. a little backstory there. But yeah, so my journey is not done. I mean, he's always going to be my son, but he's out of the house and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So your journey, you're just, you're beginning yours, bud. I am, man. I am. And That's I'm cool. discovering all new facets of myself. Yeah, just as okay. you would have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, what do you think? So what do you think the biggest thing, the difference, I think, from you, you know, the day before you had a child and then the day you have to have had a child? I mean, what things have changed for you? Because obviously, you know, being an, myself, being an entrepreneur as well and building businesses, I mean, I, I know the commitment that that takes, right? At what point for you, like, did, was it something where you were like this crazy madman working 18 hours and you said, hey, I can't do this anymore? I mean, obviously, you have a team and stuff, but what have you done to, have you scaled back? I mean, is that, you know, like, kind of give me a little background there because usually there's an aha moment of like this kind of like, there's a big bigger purpose now, right? Because usually yeah. your your business is kind of your baby and you're doing that. And there's a point where you're like, you know, like for me, there was, I mean, I was, that was kind of, I kind of told you my story in a, in a back aspered ways of like 18 hours a day was pretty common for me. And then with my son wow. and then going to his games and all that kind of stuff, there was a point where I was like, I'm going to miss all this. Yeah. You know, I'm going to miss out on this really important stuff to really help found like, you know, kind of mold his life because I've got to get some work done. But really at the end of the day, like if I'm not a brain surgeon, it's not like if I don't show up and answer my 5,000 emails that somebody dies. Like I don't think anybody's ever died for me not answering the email. Like I might've thought that in my, my small world, but where, when was that for you? Like when did you say, Hey, I got to kind of change things up a little bit. I think it was just the realization that once you've taken the responsibility of bringing someone to life on earth, there's just so much that you do to influence how this individual's life is going to shape up. It's just crazy. Like, it's like, I have friends now, we all have gone through like so much of who we are today and how do we deal with ourselves emotionally, psychologically is driven by our childhood experiences. Yeah. That it's crazy the level of influence parenting has on you as an individual for your entire life. And that was it. That was like, oh my God, is would I want my son and my daughter to become a conformist to just let someone else define what success and failure means for them, not be willing to take risks. And is there any way that I can influence that for, for them to just have the audacity and the courage to say, let me figure my own way out. Let me just yeah. do it in my own self. And I may fuck up. I may go wrong, but at least I would have done it on my own as against everyone else who's like, Hey, just tell me what I have to do. And I'll do it by 20, 25, 30, 35. I think it was just 
maybe the same feeling that you get when you're starting up where you're just overwhelmed by the responsibility you have mm, and, and suddenly yeah. the all that you need to do. But in a startup, you recognize that there are multiple things that are coming together to influence that. And here it was just two individuals, like literally two individuals who are making this person's life come to shape in some form. That just struck hard. See that you can tell you were a sci-fi fan because you, you, you're like I like literally you, I just see two humans coming together, which we don't need to go to heavy detail. What happened there? I think we all get that, but it's like and then a baby comes out and you're like, oh my god, like this is I did that. That was my fault, and so I need yeah. to take full responsibility for the next eighty years until I'm around, right, to help mold this little this little child, yeah. this little being. Huh, it's crazy, man. That's pretty yeah, nuts. It is. So tell us a little bit about Nearby, right? Um, obviously, it's it's only an India-based company, right? I mean, obviously, we don't have a group on. So that's, and you get, kind of tell me about that journey because I'm pretty familiar with it because I've, I've been following you for a while, secretly stalking you, and that's how sure. I was able to get you on the podcast. But tell us a little bit about Nearby and how that, that whole transition and, and how that all worked out because it's a really interesting story. Yeah, no, it is, Shane. And uh, thanks for mentioning it. So, so what happened was my first startup uh, was in 2009. It was uh, an automobiles classified website. Back then, there was just websites and no apps. And all that we were doing it was just uh, putting up research on new cars, their specs, their photographs, their videos, and so on and so forth. And uh, in about a couple of years, we, we sold that uh, for, for a decent amount of money. And I was looking for what next to do. And I got in touch with Groupon. And Groupon was a young company started in 2008 in Chicago, was in rage already. They were putting up flags all across the world. And India was clearly one of them. And I met them. They liked me. I liked them. And uh, the next thing I know, I started the Groupon India business in 2011. Uh, first office, first employee, first merchant, everything started from there. I did that for a couple of years. They might have liked what I did. So they gave me Groupon APAC to now manage and was managing other countries in addition to India. That happened for a couple of years. And uh, in 2015, we reached a point where it was very visible that Groupon had its own share of problems to focus on in US and Europe, which were the mm-hmm. two largest markets for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the IPO hadn't gone that great. So there was clearly work to be done. And the attention that they could spend on a country like India, whether financially or even technologically, was limited, understandably so. Mm-hmm. So we went to them, spearheaded by me as the CEO, saying, here's an audition, audacious request. Uh, we want to buy Groupon India from you. And we want to make it an independent company. We will raise the money to do that. And once we do that, we uh, technically want nothing to do with you. We want to build the product our own way. We want to build the brand our own way. We, we want to build the business model our own way. And if you want to join us, great, be a shareholder. But we don't want anything that allows you to control us financially, legally, operationally, anything. And uh, of course, the first reaction was, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, have, you, have you been drinking? I think it's probably yeah, the first exactly. question. Like, yeah, yeah. This are you on drugs? <laughs> Where, what, what did you have? Like last time? Yeah, they're like, well, you're 100% subsidiary of a publicly listed company in the US. Uh, this doesn't happen. It's never happened before. And we're like, uh, yeah, we're sure it's not happened. But here's the reason why we think it should. And that took a long time. It took about nine months of convincing. But uh, we pulled that off. We, we partnered with Sequoia Capital. And uh, we raised a bunch of money. And we bought Groupon India from Groupon. And that became Nearby, which was a completely new independent company from scratch. Same market, but completely different business model, completely different product, of course, a different brand name. And we had to almost start from scratch, uh, but knowing what we knew about the market for four years. And that's what continues to run. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Let me ask you a quick question with that. So was the reason why you wanted to break off, was it because you kind of had a, a parent company that wasn't as agile and been able to move the way you wanted to move and do the things that you wanted to do? Or did you just say, hey, I think you, we should do this. And they're like, we're not going to do that. That's like way off. Or hey, you're not giving us the support. Or what were you, and once again, not talking bad about Groupon, but just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out like, at what point did you, there, was, there had to been something, a few things that have happened, the straw that broke the camel's back that you're like, listen, either this thing's just not going to go well, or we need to like be able to do our own things. And so let's just go ahead and try to break this off from the mothership. I think it was just obvious for all the right reasons that Groupon's attention was on uh, the US and Europe markets. Mm, gotcha. And whatever is it that we felt was needed for India, which was very customized, you know, you've been to India, it, it's not a country, it's a continent. Every place is very different. People are different. And just because most of us, at least at the consumer level, speak English doesn't mean that you can lift a product from the US and plant it here. It doesn't work. Yeah. And, and just that realization that the way Groupon was structured globally is not the way that it would happen in India was obvious to them. They respected it, they appreciated it, but they were just not in any capacity to make that happen. So the choices were, uh, say, oh, okay, bad luck, uh, can't make that happen. Uh, we're just going to do something else and then go start on something else or pick up another job or whatever it was. Again, going back to the non-conformist approach that I usually have in life uh, is create your own path. And I know very few people in my capacity would have even thought about the idea of buying the country from the parent company and then making it independent. No, that is like, that is, that's why I was interested in your story. Cause I'm like, you what? Like, what did he do? I'm like, no, he didn't. I'm, Cause I read up on it, obviously. And I'm like, no, this must be a misprint. Like, you don't go to, you don't go to the parent company and be like, hey, we want to start another country. We want to break off and start a country. I mean, it's like, you know, that's, think, think about like Russia. I mean, I think about all these countries that are like, no, you're not going to leave, actually. <laughs> you're going to yeah. stay with us because that's how it goes. And yeah. then the fact that you're like, uh, no, we're going to probably go. I think that's what's best. And I can only imagine nine months of convincing. Like, what kind of prodding does that take to be able for after nine months, finally, like, listen, we can't stop them. They're going to just do their own thing or whatever. It's like, and obviously, I think probably for them, they looked at it and said, hey, listen, probably admitted at that point to themselves of like, hey, it would be better if they were, you know, something not a part of Groupon just because of the fact they weren't spending enough time and resources and stuff, it sounds like. So it's kind of like, hey, let us take this and run with it and, you know, let us change the name and do what you need to do. And what year was that that you did that? 2015. Wow. Okay. So about five years ago. And then yeah. ever since then, you guys have gone absolutely crazy. Why don't you explain that a little bit? I mean, you guys, so the, the day that you guys broke off, that's fun. You went to Sequoia Capital. Um, and, and grab some some cash. There aren't they in Silicon Valley? Yeah, they are. The they have, uh, yeah. They, yeah, they have an India VC arm as well, which is pretty big. It's the largest in India, and that's where we uh, got an investment from. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I live in Sacramento, so I'm about an hour and a half from Silicon Valley. So I get nice. I get this shrapnel from the, the Silicon Valley every once in a while from the things that go on there. So <laughs> it's kind of fun to see. But tell us a little bit about nearby today. I mean, obviously, the last five years, there's been a, quite a, a lot of growth, right? I mean, you guys have done some really cool things. I'd like to get a little, give us a little intel on that. So it was, uh, when, when we became nearby, the, the first thing we, we did was try and create an identity for ourselves, which we believed in. And Groupon globally just stood for deals and, and great deals. Um, but it was doing deals in virtually everything that it could. Right? There were services, restaurants, spa salons, even products. And we felt that that wasn't the right thing to do. So we actually took a very strong call that we were going to be only about stepping out. Uh, whenever it is it that you step out of your home, your office, your college, wherever it is, and whatever it is that you spend money and time on is where we want to be. And that meant shutting down a lot of verticals that didn't make sense or aligned with this. For instance, products. We, we weren't delivering anything to people's doorsteps anymore. We wanted people to step out. And that was a hard call, but we did that, and I'm glad we did that. 
And then it was just making it very merchant first, which at least my personal view is that the reason why Groupon struggled for a long time is it made a product which almost forced the merchants to not be friends with Groupon because it asked for a very aggressive deal, then asked for a very aggressive commission, and then sold that to multiple customers that may never come back. And that just felt like not the right business to build because the the core of the business were merchants. If they weren't there, there was no business to speak of. So we had to build a complete technology platform where we allowed merchants to have 100% control. Whenever they wanted to switch off, they could. Whatever deal or discount they wanted to give, they could decide that to who, how many, when, what, everything was in their control. And, and so that gave them the power back. Exactly. Yeah, we just said, yeah. uh, you know your business best. Why don't you take control? We're just a tech company. We'll make it happen. Awesome. So at that point, you guys were the platform, right? So then now it's like, yeah. we'll bring the people and you guys figure out when you want to turn it on and turn it off and you guys can do your own deals. And it's a lot more control in that situation. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that then gave us a huge momentum. Today, we're the largest by far. We have about 85% market share. We work with close to 68,000 local businesses in the country. Yeah. Um, which is literally who's who, right? From the top ones, McDonald's, PBR, KFC, Burger King, to small mom and pop local stores, which we everywhere. Man, that's awesome. So that's cool. That was obviously the right move, right? Saying, hey, listen, because I, I do, you know, so because Groupon, it was, you know, obviously it's big in the US. And I was always looking at that business model of in the sense that just very aggressive commission wise, right? I mean, I think they were giving up 50%. And then a lot of the times, even restaurants, all these people would have these people that have these Groupon certificates or whatever it was come in didn't even know how to retain any of them and didn't know like there was no like and it always felt like it was you know some people would go with Groupon at that time just because they didn't know other ways to pull people in but there was no I I guess if I was Groupon I would have had some kind of like how to retain these people like kind of like let's get caring for the merchant a little more right nothing against Groupon I'm not talking bad about them but just of like that kind of like that's where you got to take care of kind of your bread and butter there. And I think what happened was they just had such a big, I mean, they grew so fast and they had such a, you know, aggressive and we can drive the traffic and we can bring the people and then people couldn't live without them. Right. And you start build your, I think to try to build a business off of a Groupon coupon is just, usually that's a lot of people's last resorts on stuff that I've seen from businesses that I've seen. They're like, Oh, let's just try this. And we nothing else is working. Not always. And I, not to, to, to put it in that category, but I, I think that's awesome that, that you guys were more customers or I guess merchant centric in the sense of saying, Hey, let's, and like, we think this is a good model. It's just let them have the control. Let them do what they need to do because they know better than you guys. Yeah. And Groupon, I'd say, possibly did the right thing in the US where it's such a well-known brand and people go to it to actually discover something new to do in their city. It's a great way to, to find yeah. out really cool things to do this weekend and great places to go and, and whatnot. And in India, honestly, that, that the culture is still not there. Like we, we're very focused on the food, as you know. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much it. Like 50% of our, of our business in nearby is, is food. And in the US, the biggest category was beauty and wellness, where, where mm. people would go have Massage. a very nice spa, yeah. exactly, or go for a nice manicure, pedicure, and whatnot. And that drove Groupon. Where could I do or get a really fancy massage? Say, I'd take a massage and some paneer right now. I'll tear my pants <laughs> lose my mind. I, I, I think I have about three pounds of that in my stomach right now. Not to get into personal details, but I will tell you, I, I, man, I'm just trying to double my weight in the next four days is the plan. So, 
I'll let you know how that works out. Yeah, but I understand that culturally, I mean, the food is like, you got to be kidding me. So I, I think that's a natural fit to go after the food side totally. of things in regards to that. So what were some of the other challenges that you guys had with Nearby? I mean, was there, I mean, obviously there was, you kind of changed the business model. There was obviously some rebranding, right, that you guys had to do. What were some other big challenges that you guys had? I mean, I'm, obviously it's kind of hard to, you know, sum that up in an hour podcast of all the challenges, but what were some other big things? Do you have any issues with the government or, I mean, not to get the government involved, but you know, like where, where were there anything else that you guys had to deal with? I know we're going to go after governments and we're going to after UFOs and stuff like that. I'm probably going to have a black vehicle that follows me around after this interview. Yeah, no big totally. deal. And this is the last time I, this, this is my last interview. I want to let you know that I had a good time, but I want you to know if I don't make it from here on out. But the big challenge, Shane, is, and this was only first time running a, a transaction platform online. I'd only been in the advertising business where it's a B2B model and then you create a great product for the consumers. They just come, but it's free. So they don't pay you anything and you never really know what it is to, to take money from someone. But when I started doing that in Groupon, the biggest thing, and I speak about this a lot, but particularly when people from the US come trying to understand the Indian internet market, I have this talk of how the Indian market is so different from the Western consumer. And the biggest difference is the concept of trust. Trust defines virtually every interaction. And in, in the US where laws are sacred, they are upheld, people have a lot of trust. They operate with trust. It's the first thing. It's default. In India, we are a trust-deficient country. Now, how that meant for us was the US playbook for Groupon was very simple. Go to a great brand, get a great deal, list it on the website, and people will come and buy. Simple as that. In India, we did the same thing. People came, but no one bought. Because people were like, this is too good to be true. I don't trust it. Uh-huh. I don't trust anything of what you're doing. You're duping me. This is clearly a farce. It's a Ponzi scheme. I don't trust it. And that was crazy for us because we were like, oh my God, we have Hilton at a 50% off and you don't want to believe it because you think that it's just fake. So how do you even begin to deal with that? And the first few years was just about building insane level of trust. And that only comes from consistency and doing the same thing over and over and over again over years and years, which is when you get it. And I think that's been the biggest challenge because people would just see a brand on Nearby or on Groupon and their immediate reaction would be, there's a catch. Yeah, This is not true. You know what? I And I actually can relate to that because when my wife met me, she was like, this is too good to be true. <laughs> she was like, no, there's got, there's got to be a catch. <laughs> and I was like, no, baby, this is it. Like, this is, <laughs> oh, this is all me. And she's like, no, I, I just feel like this is too good to be true. And I'm like, no, like this is the full path. I mean, I think this is, I don't know if it gets better than this, which that's maybe 100% facetious because my wife's probably just turned the podcast off. We just lost our one listener that we had. She, she's like, he doesn't remember, she can't remember my birthday. Now he's talking about how good he is for God's sakes. No, but I, I get that. So, so it's a trust thing. And that's interesting because I do, I mean, because I, even in, you know, that's what I mean, we tell people that, right? Like if it looks like it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, right? And you guys are looking at this thing going, okay, we're offering 50% off of the Hilton. Like, what are we missing here? Like, what seems to be the problem? How did you guys take care of that? I mean, is that more of like a, hey, you have tons of testimonials and people talk about, oh my God, I went on this great vacation. Like at what point, how do you build that trust with your audience? Other than obviously they buy something, but I get in them fast past that first step of buying something because it's obviously not a price thing, right? Because they, yeah. they see the great price. How do you convince people to come on and they start feeling comfortable and they tell, start telling their friends like, oh my God, this is real. I just stayed at the Hilton for 50%. How did you build that? Yeah, and it was a combination of what you just uh, mentioned, Shane. It was, it was a combination of having real life, real people share their experiences of having bought it. It was also about getting 
the managers or the brand owners of the merchant, let's say Hilton in this case, to, to actually come on, record a video, talk about why they are on Groupon or nearby, how this is a platform that's helping them, how the food that they'll be serving is not going to be stale. It's not that you'll be mistreated. It's not that you will be putting you in the, the saddest corner of the restaurant. Take them to the dungeon, uh, Johnny. Yeah, Take them to the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, serve them that that's right. So that's going to happen. And, and we're generally doing it because we, we want new people to come and experience us who haven't done so until now. And I think it was it was more about trying to tell people why would someone be okay getting a 50% off on the platform. And once they saw through that, they're like, okay, we, we could. Even then, people were just very, very cautious and they almost always went for the top brands not for the mom and pops. So no one cared about the Barikul restaurant. No one cared about the Ankur and the Shane restaurant because no one heard of it and no one had seen it. So they all went to the McDonald's and the KFCs and the Pizza Huts and the Chili's and all those places that everyone knew of. And that then built the trust on the platform. And through that, we could help the small businesses for which the platform was meant provisionally serve them because then our trust started flowing to them. Got the foot in the door, right? I mean, the idea is right. So, and that's interesting. So if I'm going to go for a coupon, I'm looking for a restaurant that I've never been to. Like for me, it's the opposite. Like I don't, I don't need a McDonald's. I don't care about any of that. Like I want to go explore, right? But I have that. That's me. I love to go explore. So I want to go like my wife, I'll go in and say, okay, let's go get $10 off something. Let's go try something we've never tried. And so I enjoy that side of it. I I would, you know, once again, but I obviously understand the platform and have, have used it quite a bit. So that's interesting. So let's talk about this a little bit because I know we've got we only got about 15 more, 20 more minutes. Tell us a little bit because I know you also do some angel investing. So nearby, and also I want to, we probably should end this, the nearby story with, you just left this, the company as the CEO, right? I mean, obviously it looks like you're going to be on to some other stuff. Yeah, that's right. So October 2019, I stepped down as the CEO. My, my lovely two co-founders, they are running the company now. And I'm just a shareholder and on the board. That's awesome. Going strong though. I heard nothing but good things over there. Yeah, no, it's lovely, man. A lot of people, again, are like, what's wrong with you? Who does that? And I'm like, isn't this the best gift that an entrepreneur can give himself or herself? Because you gave birth to a company, you've got it to a profitable stage and a decent size, and you have very smart people that you completely trust or willing to run it for you. Your equity is all vested, so you own the company in whatever capacity you wanted to. And now you don't need to be operationally involved. Like you have time on your hands to do something else. I think that's the best thing I can do for myself. Yeah. So have you thought about getting a tattoo says who does that? I mean, I would, I actually would pay for it. Not that I think you need to be reminded, but I'm just, I feel like I think that's interesting because you're like, man, things are going too good. Or you know what? I think I'm going to go to the left or go to the right. But I think I love that because I mean, the mentality of that is you're just going to do what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is awesome because most people don't. Right. Especially in the Indian culture, it's kind of like yeah. you know this is you're supposed to be doing this, but like you got to go this way. Don't go right or left. Like I've kind of this is your dad did this, your grandfather did this. This is you got to kind of keep it going. Don't mess up. You know, the family's watching you, and you're kind of like, well, you know, I guess that makes sense, and I love you guys, and things are good, but <laughs> I kind of want to do this. And hey, things are going great with the company because you guys also didn't nearby get pot out too. You guys also got a wasn't there like a merger or something? Or something? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in 2017, uh, PTM which is India's most valued company. They uh, made an investment in us, which made them the majority owners of uh, Nearby. And we merged with the number two player in the market called Little to to create uh, an 85% market share company. There we go. See, I mean, that's, and so you do you, and you kind of feel like, hey, your work's done here. 
right? Like not that it can't get bigger, but is it kind of like, or is it just, you want the new adventure? Yeah, I think it was more of a personal decision, nothing to to reflect on how the company's growth prospects yeah. are. I think you know, Devers going to have a fantastic journey. It's a marathon. We're just getting started. And as you rightly pointed out, Shane, I, I thought that my work was done there and spent eight years, learned a lot about myself. And uh, I want to now deploy that for, for something else. Who knows what, but definitely something else. That's awesome. You should probably start building that spaceship to get to Mars. You want to be the first one there, right? I'm just, I'm just, that's what I would recommend. I, I, you know, I, I mean, you got a little bit of competition, but I think you could do it, bud. I mean, that's, that's, don't let anybody stop yeah. you. Just, yeah, just do it. Exactly. Just, just do two really smart people to block and I'll, I'll be the first one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. That's, and maybe that's where you get your tattoo on Mars. Be the first one to go there and get a tattoo on Mars. Now we're talking. Now we're cooking with some gas. Now we're talking. Yeah. Or, or, set up, or set up Mars first tattoo shop. See, now, now we're on fire. Like before there was a little bit of gas. Now I think, see, this is, there's some synergy here. I think I'd be willing to, I'll buy the, the guns for the tattoo or whatever we need to do. We'll figure out the, the details later. But I think we really have a little, a little, uh, little business baby here. I think where this thing's really coming together quickly and, and only 40 minutes. I mean, who knew it was going to be this quick? So tell us a little bit, because obviously I think I remember reading about that you also do some angel investing as well, um, and yeah. that you're also pretty, you like to be a little risky, and I don't know what that meant. I just saw that you like to be a little risky. I didn't want to dig too much deeper until we jumped on the podcast, but tell us a little bit about that. Like you're an angel investor, like what companies have you invested in and why did you invest some money in them? So, so honestly, the, the, the intention of doing angel investing was not to make money back. It was uh, to work with really smart founders uh, in mm. In businesses or companies that I had no idea about, would love to build, but I possibly cannot because I have only this much time. So you build it through the eyes and the arms of someone else. And uh, that's why my, my thesis is uh, just really, really smart people that I would want to spend my time with, uh, working on problems that are very complex. They don't come easy. Uh, it, it can't be solved by everyone. So it has to be solved by someone was just completely devoted to it. And uh, there's something that I can do to, to impact their, their results in whatever small capacity I can. That's honestly it. Uh, the, the quantum of money, I've realized, uh, rarely matters. There are, in fact, a couple of those startups where I haven't put any money and still spent way more time than I have compared to startups where I've put my money, yeah. just because I, I love what they're doing. It's just been a way for me to to stay tuned to, to what's happening and, and work with smart people. Yeah, I love that. Whether it's sweat equity or whether it's capital, I've done some of the same stuff. I think also I enjoy the journey, right? And I think yeah. that's like, for me, it's always like me reading that you had left in November. I got it. Like, I didn't even have to read the rest of the article. Like, I know why you left. It wasn't had nothing to do with the company. It had to do with like, I've done what I can do here, right? It, yeah. You know, and I kind of like, there's always there's something new and there's there's only so much time on this this planet Earth, right? And on Mars, obviously, as well. And so, you know, <laughs> you got to kind of figure that out. Like, what is that next step? And once again, most people look at that and go, oh man, everything was perfect. Like, why would you do that? It's like, why would I not do that? Why would I not, you know, have this opportunity to work with other people and be able to work on their projects that couldn't change the world? Or, you know, especially when you have people, when you have that synergy, right? And you're like, man, this is awesome. I mean, it's, it's kind of, this is a, a very small example, but people ask me like, why did you start your podcast? I'm like, no reason other than I like talking with people. Yeah. <laughs> like that, no, but you want to make money from it. I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> Unless you're a sponsor. I do want to make money. Please reach out to us. <laughs> But if you're not a sponsor, but you know, really the goal was like, I just enjoy chatting with people, right? I enjoy having good conversation and meeting people. And so that was really my premise. There was nothing more to it than that. And I think people were like, no, you're trying to get business out of it. I'm like, well, not really. 
I just want to chat with people. Like I enjoy meeting new people. Like where else would I be able to get that platform to say, Hey, let's talk for an hour. You'd be like, I don't want to just talk to you on the phone for an hour. So I just called it a podcast and we record people and, and here we are today, right? We interview people like yourself. So that's awesome. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. It is, man. And I just, I love the platform too, because it's just kind of fun to be able to, you know, chat with awesome people. I mean, that's in once again, it's only an hour, but you know, so build great relationships through that. So anyways, I feel fortunate with that. So how many startups are you, you, do you, are you working with right now? Is there any certain amount or is it kind of more like a, you know, is it a consulting type thing or is it, I guess it really depends on how into it you are, huh? Yeah, I think they're, I don't know, offhand, but about four or five that I'm actually involved with for sure. And I'm, I'm invested in about 11 or 12. Yeah, again, I don't shy away from spending time on anything where I feel I could impact. It's just amazing. Like one of my favorite questions, which incidentally came from my ex-boss at Groupon, is the simple question, how can I help you? And it's amazing how many people do not have the answer to that question. Mm. They, they just reached out and they're like, yeah, thank you for reaching out and for giving me that respect, but there's got to be a way that I can help you. And, and then it says, now, oh, can you look at this deck and give us feedback? And like that. That's not help. That's just you being lazy. <laughs> yeah. Ask me for help, but be, be specific. You, you've got to juxtapose what I can do to what you need. And if you haven't found that intersection, then I'm not going to do that for you. Yeah. Well, because it should be high impact, right? I mean, the idea yeah. is, is like, if I'm taking my time, like, don't, you're asking me to look at a deck, like you can ask not anybody to look at a deck, but really that's not, I'm looking for, you know, my time is gonna be very limited. So let's make a huge impact. Like you just looking at your deck isn't going to be, it probably isn't going to change anything for the most part. So I don't know. Exactly. I get that. I get yeah. that. So I have a question for you. So you've been, you said what, you're late thirties, 39, 30, yeah, 39, 39. Yeah. 39. So you're coming up on 40, huh? But so I'm, I'm 44. So I just want to let you know that it's really glorious on this side when you're 44. <laughs> I can like, totally imagine. I mean, I, I, I literally, this was, I'm not even kidding you. When I was in Mumbai, the keynote speech thing that I did with the India Times, I went yeah. out dancing and I'm not talking about dancing for like five hours. I went out dancing for like 15 minutes and like my knee popped and I didn't fall. I didn't fall. Right. But I, it absolutely popped and pretty much just told me that it hated me. And I wasn't like break dancing. I wasn't spinning on my knee. I wasn't like, you know, maybe I was probably dancing like I was a little younger than I am. But I just want to let you know on this side, when you hit those 40s, bro, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> Everything is, I mean, just super, super epic. But I will, I do have a question for you. So what would you, knowing, you know, knowing that you're 39 right now, what would you tell you at 19 years old? Like if you could go back in time and say, hey, other than don't go to Michigan State. No, I'm just kidding. Like, no, not, I mean, like, don't, you know, maybe you change direction, not the college, I'm sorry, but like, you know, change sure. direction. Like, what would you tell yourself? Like, what would be that epic, that epic thing that you would say, hey, man, watch out for this or do this? Or is there anything that you would tell yourself? Yeah, totally, man. I think the only thing that I would tell myself is make sure that every choice that you're making in life comes from a point of awareness and not ignorance. Mm. And the choices that I made early in life were just because I didn't know any better. That was it. I was just being lazy. I didn't know any better. And I wish I knew because then I would either not have made those choices or would have made them with a conviction that was very different from what I experienced. But how do you, let's break that down a little bit. How, like, so when you talk about awareness, like, I guess it's more that you're making the decision instead of somebody else making the decision for you? It's about one thing that I followed in life quite religiously, Shane, after I came back from the US, which was, as again, spending time with people who are like you, spend time with people who are nothing like you. Like, spend time with people who, who challenge your worldview, who, who challenge your beliefs, who challenge your biases. And do that not because you want to become them, but only because you want to see what else is there. For a simple reason, I like vehemently avoid going to startup events. Because when you go to startup events, there's only one thing that you keep hearing, valuations, VCs, funding, 
And I would much rather spend time with traditional businessmen. I would much rather spend time with artists. I would much rather spend time with social workers, trying to see a completely different side of the equation and then trying to see how how things can work. My biggest angst with social work in general is assumes from day one that this is going to be philanthropic, that it's going to be charity-based, that there's nowhere, any way that it can make money. And that's why it requires a billion, million decades foundation to fund it or whatever it is. And I'd like, you know, that's that's a great worldview. But if you were just hanging around people who do this day in and day out, that's the only worldview you have. So only if you speak to me, who I call myself a capitalist to some extent, to a large extent rather, then maybe you see a very different side of it. Where if, if I were to create the world's largest network of, I don't know, primary schools, I would do it in a way that it still made money and I wouldn't have to rely on a rich man to cut me a check. But that is only going to happen if you spend time with people who are living a completely different life as against dissing them and saying, oh, no, that's capitalism. That's not what we want. And, and, and we'd love to be socialists. So those choices come from awareness. Gotcha. It's funny. So <laughs> I have a funny little story for you. So this was, and we talk about, you know, hanging out with people that are kind of yes people, right? I guess kind of, you know, kind of want to break out of that. So the reason why I'm laughing is, so this was, I got to tell you a story. So this, the other night, I was in Mumbai at the speaking event. So it's mm. after the event and we had some food and all this, you know, more Indian food because I'm just shoveling mm. it down while I'm here. And so I'm having a cocktail and there was this, this lady that was kind of looking at me from across the room and kind of, you know, I, I assume she just recognized me that I was one of the speakers or whatever. Um, and she comes up to me and she goes, um, she goes, hey, I just want to let you know that I've been following you for a long time, like your material and everything. Um, and I have to tell you, I, I think your speech was just average. <laughs> I said, oh, snap. <laughs> and so like, I almost spit up in my, my beer, right? I'm like, I kind of go, I go, oh, okay. And I said, well, I said, well, first of all, and, and everybody around me was kind of looking at her like, oh my God, I can't believe she just said that. And for me, I, I think they were looking at me like, oh, how are you going to handle this? And I said, you know what? I absolutely love your candor. I said, I love the fact that you have the, I don't know what to say. It'll be try to be appropriate on the podcast. You have the, I guess the, the wherewithal to come up to me and say that. And I said, because I've had yeah. nothing but people tell me they love my presentation. And I'm not saying that they didn't love my presentation. And she goes, no, it's not that I didn't. She goes, I thought you presented very well. But she goes, I, th- I thought your content wasn't that phenomenal, like from what I've seen. And I said, I, I'll have to agree with you. I said, I only had 25 minutes. I talked about digital marketing in the past, present, and future. I said, so mm-hmm. I literally have eight minutes on the past. So I'm going over <laughs> 10 years and eight minutes, right? Like I, I kind of had to like take, you know, I didn't involve it. I didn't, I didn't include everything, right? I had to leave out a few things because there's a lot of minutes in 10 years. And I had eight minutes per you know thing. So we were this thing, and I said, I'll tell you, I don't think my content was there. To, it was going to blow anybody away. Nobody was going to leave that and go, oh my god, I got five nuggets of like pure gold that I didn't even think about. Shane's a brilliant, right? Yeah. The idea that I said that was partly because of the presentation. That's what they wanted me to go over. There wasn't anything that I thought people were going to be blown away. I mean, I've got like the CMO and people of these big directors of huge companies here in India. I didn't expect for it to anybody to be blown away. And she goes, but she goes, but now is she goes if you want, but now is your opportunity to blow me away. I was like, she gave me permission. She gave me permission. I was like, well, let me, well, I said, well, let me stretch out. I'll make sure I don't pull a hammy or anything like that. I'm going to lay some knowledge on you, sister. And so we had a great conversation for about 20 minutes. But the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because she wasn't a yes person, right? Like I get, yeah. everybody gives me a business card and everybody says, this is great. And, you know, everybody asks like the same questions. And she came up to me. I literally thought she was kind of like, like, oh, you know, hey, like that, like kind of give me the eye, like, hey, great job. And she comes up and, and blasts me. 
And I just thought, I loved it, man. It was like, this is so cool that you just, you didn't think about, you know, you just came up and you're just being honest with me. And I said, most people won't be honest with me, right? I mean, it's like, or hopefully they were being honest when they liked the presentation, but it just, anyways, I loved it. I I was like, I, you know, and I I talked with her the most out of everybody because I feel like she's really going to tell me whether I'm great or not great or I suck or what I need to improve upon. And anyways, it was a good conversation, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. Man, that's, that's precious. That's so precious. It was, it was. And Great story. Come up. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a good time for sure. So, well, cool, man. Hey, we're, God, we're at the end of this thing. See, when the interviews get all fun like this and you start like, you know, talking about businesses and Mars and tattoos and aliens <laughs> and stuff, like we just, you know, it's just, just an hour. It's just not enough time. But I do have, a, I have, I actually have, well, I have one thing that I wanted to tell you that I thought was awesome. I actually read this in an article was Please. that you have like a list up of all the things that you failed at. Yeah, I have a failure resume. Yeah, your failure resume. I I was looking at that. And man, you really failed. I want to tell you congratulations on your failures, dude. I I think that was awesome. I was reading that and I thought, man, that's really cool. Because I think a lot of people are scared of failure. That's their big, you know, and, and for me, and we always talk about this, or I always talk about it is like, you know, oh, what can I do to be successful? I'm like, fail a thousand times, fail a million yeah. times, or just keep doing it, right? And I think that's awesome that you keep that in the forefront of like, hey, this is, and it's okay, right? And this is it. It's like, these are things that didn't happen, or I wanted to do this, or I didn't do that, because you're, you're, you're always going to fail, and you should always fail, right? I mean, there's always, you know, the, as long as you get some kind of an experience or something from that. So I want to give you kudos on that, because I, I actually did print it out, because I wanted to, like, look at all your failures. Thank you. I think it was super, super awesome. I appreciate um, that. And then my last question for you, if three people, I think this is going to be a good one for you, three people living, alive or dead, that you would want to have dinner with or wine with or a drink with, like who is, because I think for you, because of, I don't know, because of your mindset, I, anyways, I think you're not going to pick typical people. I think, tell me who you would pick, like who would be the people that you could have dinner with, a drink with or something, hang out with for an hour, two hours, whatever that would be. Who, who's on your list? It would definitely be one Albert Einstein. I struggle between Jesus Christ or Gautam Buddha. Mm, there we go. And I think someone in the recent times, I would, I think it'd be Roger Federer. Really? Yeah. I love nice. that guy. Yeah, I love yeah. that guy. You can't go wrong with it. I thought for sure my, my money was on Tupac. I don't know why I feel like you'd be a big two- no, I'm just <laughs> Tupac. I just saw a documentary on Tupac, so he's, he's on my mind right now. But that's awesome, man. That's a nice little, nice little list of folks that you guys would have together. And Jesus, I mean, if you see him, tell him I said hi. That would be awesome. I haven't, I haven't talked to him. I'm sure he knows you already. Yeah. He, he probably he does you. know me. He does. He's probably the one who was like, hey, get off that dance floor. He's the one who blew my knee out. Like, bud, you should not be out there dancing. You're going to hurt yourself, and you're white, so do not do that. You're aggressively going to hurt yourself. Well, once again, man, this is so awesome, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and jumping on the podcast today. As I said, you know, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll get some all the fun stuff, all the, the propaganda. We'll get that out to you when the podcast comes out. And is there anybody, if, you know, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, do you want to give out any details? You want to give a website, anything fun? I am on Twitter at uh, Bariku, which is my last name, and uh, I am still. Uh, an email first person. So variku at gmail.com is the best way to reach me. That's awesome. And obviously you said the cool part is you're giving out free money, right? When it comes to startups and stuff. You, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. just kidding. No, there's nothing free money, but, <laughs> but that's awesome, man. Well, congratulations on all your success, bud. And you guys, and if you're listening to this podcast and like what you hear, make sure that you're going to subscribe. And once again, Ankur, thank you so much for being a guest and uh, we will be talking with you soon, bud. Thank you so much, Shane. Have a lovely time ahead. Bye-bye.